Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. While you're turning there, me in verse 12, while you're turning there, I'll give you a few uh, updates. How many of you know that the gospel of Jesus changes lives, changes families, changes generations and cities? Amen? We've got to make sure we know what we're talking about here. Um, so it does. Whether you know that or not, I hope you know that by the end of today. But I heard from our team out in Brussels that they were gathered. Again, we're planning a church there. A uh, really interesting city where a lot of the Syrian refugees have moved. You also have the kind of the center, center of the EU, and our team is there, and they're praying, and they get this sense. They're just like, God, bring us to people that need you today. They get this sense, uh, kind of what happens when you pray, just this leading. They're supposed to go to a certain part of the city where there was an arch that they, that they knew. They went out there, and they're kind of meeting some people there, and they find a guy, get this, they find a guy that had been reading the Bible on his own for four years and had been praying that God would bring someone to kind of help him understand what it meant. Uh, they were like, um, I, I think we can help you with that. So it's so exciting that God is at work in Brussels, and there are people that want to know him, and we get to play a part in helping them come to know Jesus. And if you think about your own story, if you're a follower of Jesus, you think about the way that's transformed your life and maybe your family, your community, what a gift to be able to give away. And that's what we're about. We want to saturate uh, Brussels with the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, update number two, building update. I sent this out in the email. Um, we are kind of on the latter end of the work in our new facility, which is awesome. We've run into some choppy water here at the end, as you're aware of, uh, mainly with the the contractor has put in the fire sprinkler system and the alarm. So you see these little metal things up there. Those are sprinklers. I never knew that before, but if there's a fire, they, they rain water on us. That's a good thing. If you saw uh, the, the fires in Britain, you're like, oh yeah, we need that sprinkler system. They're connected to a fire alarm. Our fire alarm contractors, let's say had some problems. Maybe this in his best effort in completing his uh, contracted work. He's failed the inspection twice there at the end. So we're trying to work on bringing resolution to that. I want to thank, there are a couple people in the church that work in commercial real estate that have been very helpful in this process to say, hey, this is normal. It's par for the course. And here's a plan forward. So I'll keep you guys updated as we move forward with that. Hopefully, we'll get that resolved here in the next several weeks. But for now, it's party in the hotel this summer, right? We're, we're going to be here today, and then we're going to have a little location change next week. Just want to keep you on your toes a little bit. If this kind of rotating hadn't kept you on your toes enough, we're going to be at a different hotel. To find out the name of that hotel, you need to sign up to the newsletter list. Zach, is that just a cheap play to get me get my email? Yes, it is, but I want you to be a part of this family. Uh, actually, what is the name of the hotel, Joe? Wyndham, right around the corner, right by In-N-Out Burger, so you can plan your lunch. Next week, that's where we'll be. We'll be there for July. I'll send you an email this week with that address. In case you're forgetful like me, that's where we'll be. Those are our updates. We're going to go to the Word of God we are in a series on summer fruit, a season where we've been talking about living fruitfully, living well, walking with Jesus and everything that he has for us this summer, that we would get to the end of the summer and say, man, that was a summer of no regrets. That was a fruitful summer. That was a summer well lived. Whether you go through great things or challenging things, that whatever the summer holds for us, that we would say, man, I, I was really, uh, I lived it well. And Jesus wants to help us do that. He wants to help us walk in true 
life. And so we've been looking at several important uh, topics, several important uh, ideas that we need in order to be able to summer well. And anytime you hear a sermon, I want to just let you know, it kind of comes with a, with a point, a purpose. It's preaching on purpose. It should be from the Word of God, right? And it should be shaped by the Word of God. But oftentimes they have different emphases. So there's apostolic sermons. You're like, what's an apostolic sermon? It's not a word we use in our everyday life, but in the Bible, uh, kind of the word apostolic was, it's taking us into new things that God has for us, right? And you can hear sermons and teachings that lead us into, wow, this might be what God wants to do. This is where God is taking us. It establishes us in new things. There are sermons that are prophetic, that are focused on, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing right now in an individual in a community, in a city, or in a nation. And sometimes sermons are prophetic in nature. Sometimes sermons are evangelistic in nature. They proclaim the good news of Jesus, and they equip us in how to share that with our friends and with our family, right, to be a part of sharing the good news everywhere we go. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Sometimes sermons are teaching in nature, right? They teach us, and they train us, and they mold us, and they help build us up into the people that God has called us to be, that God desires for us to be. And sometimes sermons are pastoral in nature. Pastoral in nature is this. It's a how you doing sermon. And not the first time someone asks you how you're doing, the second time. You know the first time where you kind of give whatever the answer is. I'm good. Right, the second time. No, no, no. How you doing? How's your soul Jesus spent a lot of time. He had a a ministry healing the brokenhearted, binding up the brokenhearted. Pastoral sermons are healing sermons. They hit us down here, and they bring healing and restoration. This summer fruit season that we've been in is a pastoral season. It's a how you doing season. It's a how's your soul really season. It's a healing season. So we talked the first week about really understanding the season that God had us in as an individual. How do you understand what God has for you in a particular time? Some of you have moved to Dallas to get your internship from school. You're a college student, or maybe you moved here for your first job. That's a new season. You might not be in college anymore. You might not be with the same city that you've been in the last several years. You're learning, okay, how do I walk with God in this new season? Some of you are on the way to getting married, or just gotten married, or just had a baby. It's a new season, right? How do you walk with God in that season? You might have a new job. You might have changed jobs. You might have kids that are moving uh, out to college, or just different things going on. So we needed to know to live well, to walk with Jesus. We need to know what season we're in, right? Uh, we, We looked at that. The second week, last week, we looked at party or die, that God is a God of extravagant celebration, And to live well, to walk with him, we need to learn how to party. We need to learn to celebrate like he celebrates. We need to be marked and shaped by that. So I gave us a challenge of learning to celebrate well this summer. If you've never been to a church that preached a message called Party or Die, neither have I. But man, it's captured my mind. We want to be people that celebrate like Jesus celebrates. Today I want to speak with you on the topic of rest. I want to speak to you about rest. I want to know, are you, are you rested? My guess is if we asked everyone in the room, the common answers, the most popular answers would be no. I, I'm busy. I'm overloaded. 
I'm stressed, I'm tired. Like those would be very common answers. If we were to play Family Feud, those would be the one, the answers that you would want to guess as what most of us would, would say, right? Most of us struggle in the area of rest. I believe the scripture teaches, and I believe God wants to speak to you today, that he wants to give you rest. That whether you're young or old, whatever season that you're in, that God's desire for you would be to give you the gift of rest today. Man, that's really good news. Let's, let's look at the word of God. I want you to think about, as we go to the scripture, to think about your, um, your worst boss. Who's your worst boss? I asked my wife this, it was in an instant. She knew exactly who it was. I bet you do too. The worst bosses that we have, they just stick out to us. We could probably tell some really funny stories. Uh, you could ask Donnie Tapey. He'll give you some, some good stories uh, on that. Uh, I bet you've had a worse boss. I bet you've had a best boss too. One time I had a boss who didn't want me as an employee. That was interesting. His boss hired an assistant, and, and uh, I was the assistant to this guy, but that guy didn't want an assistant. So they were having a little internal spat, and I was kind of, I don't know, the guy that got caught in the middle. So I spent most of that summer just sitting in his office waiting for something to do, right? He didn't, he didn't want me. I had another uh, work situation where my boss was like, he was in his 60s, but he was strong like a bear. I mean, he was big man. This was a construction-type job. And so he would travel around from work site to work site, and the workers, they would set up an elaborate kind of alarm system when the boss was coming, Bird calls, you know, banging on cans, that sort of thing, to let everybody know, look busy, because this boss who's strong like a bear uh, is coming, and you don't want to be on the, the tail end of, of his anger, right? Um, I had another uh, boss. It was kind of like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like one moment, super nice, inspiring. You're like, this is an amazing person. And then something would just flip, and you'd be like, whoa, I'm sorry I showed up for work today, right? Just, just Wow. She just changed really often. Who's your, who's your worst boss? What's the worst boss you've had? Have you ever worked for a company where your boss changed, where it shifted from one boss to another? You got a new manager, a new leader. Have you ever been in a company or a, a department where there was like a, some sort of takeover, a turnaround project? It wasn't just, oh, I just got a new boss. It was like there's new leadership to the whole company. This thing is like changing. And you don't know, is that going to be a good thing? Or a bad thing. That's what's going on is the context for the scriptures we're about to read. There's been a change in ownership. There's been a change, a change of boss. Things are, things are different. You see, we're about to read God's word to the Israelites, a group of people that were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Think about 400 years. That's generation upon generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. They have been slaves for a long time. Their lives, their days, their weeks, their, their, their seasons, their years, their generations were defined by being the backs on which the Egyptian economy went forward. They'd been slaves in Egypt 400 years. Pharaoh is the leader of Egypt. Their economy is booming, right? And the way that it went forward was on the backs of these Israelites for generation upon generation. It was always growth. It was always increase. It was always build anew. Right, And these were the men and the women that were going to see that happen. They were going to be the backs on which the economy went forward. That had been their lot in life for a long time. God in his mercy had come in, and he had set these people free. He had said, hey, it's a new day. I'm breaking you out. You're no longer slaves. I'm making you a new people. Pharaoh 
It's not the boss anymore. You've had a boss change. I'm the boss. That's what's going on. And he said, I want to bless you, and I want to make you into a new people, a new community, defined and shaped by by me, the God of the universe. And through the ways that I bless you, I want to bless the whole world. I want to redeem the whole world. I want to work so powerfully in you and in y'all that through y'all, the world is transformed. That's his agenda. There's been a boss takeover. And what we're about to read is kind of day one of the new day where the boss has come near and he's setting the tone for the agenda. This is called the Ten Commandments. We're about to read commandment number four. First three commandments are summed up in this. God is saying, Pharaoh is not the boss. You are not the boss. I'm the boss. Now, we get a little nervous. Like when that happens, when someone comes around and says, hey, I'm the boss, I'm in control, we get a little nervous. You get a little nervous when that happens? Like if that happened at work tomorrow, you'd be like, oh, I'm going to get on monster.com and start looking around. Anybody still use monster? I'm going to get on whatever the, whatever the website is, Indeed, or whatever the job hunt is. You're like, I don't know about this new boss in control, but this is actually a very merciful thing that God does. You see, he's brought these people out. He's set them free, and now he's going to teach them how to live in freedom. For them to understand that, they need to understand that he's in control and he's going to help them. So what we're about to read is agenda number one. What do you think his first point is going to be? Deuteronomy chapter 5. That was a long introduction. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. This is what God says. First point, first order of business. Observe the Sabbath day. Keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Agenda number one, first thing the new boss says after he says, I'm in charge, is, hey, I want to talk to you about your rest. Are you rested? I think you've been working a lot. I think you've been working so much. I saw under Pharaoh, you weren't a human being, you were a human doing. And my first order of business is, is I want to change that. I want to know, are you rested? Think about that. If you got called in tomorrow by your boss or by HR, if you're in a big company, and the agenda was we're going to talk to you about your vacation policy, and you knew this was a new boss or a new HR company, you'd be nervous, right? You get called in, you're thinking, man, they're going to take away all my vacation days. All those ones that I've accrued, they're going to take it away. This is going to be rough. Have you ever had a boss that turned the table and said, hey, I don't think you're taking enough time off. I'm concerned about that. Actually, my agenda number one as I start leading this company is that you would get a break. <laughs> Just imagine if that's what tomorrow held for you. You'd kind of be like, um, is there some other trick to this? Like, are you, are you, I sign up for this and then I, I get something bad out of it? Like one time I had a boss who told you the game was checkers, but he was playing chess. So he would say one thing, and you'd think, oh, this is great. And then you'd sign up, and it'd be like, oh, no, this was awful. Um, I learned as studying about the, the work week and the Great Depression, um, the reason why in America we have a five-day work week um, is because during the Great Depression, they were trying to figure out how to deal with the economy. And so they said, hey, we'll give everybody an extra day off. But with that day off, we'll decrease their pay. So you hear the boss, you get an extra day off, awesome, and we're not going to pay as much, Oh, right? 
That's what it was. Is this that sleight of hand? Is this is God pulling a trick on him? Like, hey, I'm going to give you a day off, but really it's not going to be for your good. Like, I'm going to load it up with so much stuff that it's, it's really not a day off. It's just more work. No, look what he says in verse 14. On it, you shall not do any work. Huh. <laughs> a day off, a real day of rest. Not you not your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the foreigner who is within your gates that you that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. So let's get the contours of this time off. It wasn't just for the rich. It wasn't, well, you've got a lot of money. You take a day off, but have all your employees keep working. No, it was for everybody. It wasn't just for a certain gender. Right? I've lived in a country where they would have days off, which meant the men went out and hung out and did whatever, and the women worked twice as hard because they had to cook all this food and prepare the house and everything. This is not like that. This is, it doesn't matter what gender you are, day off. It's not just for the young or the old. It's not just, hey, the kids are out of school and they get a time off, or just the old, like, hey, parents, just sit around and make your kids do everything. It's a day off, a real day off. It's not just one day off here or there but it's every week. The boss calls you in. Hey, I'm concerned about you. I want to give you rest. I actually want to give you 52 more vacation days a year than you've had for the last 400 years. Wow. You'd, you'd be caught off guard by this. I mean, imagine you're, you're these Israelites. Man, what a gift. God is the new boss it's saying, first order of business, I want to give you rest. Now, in verse 15, God tells him why. Why is he doing this? Why is this significant for them? Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So you're getting a day off, and here's what I want you to remember. You used to be a slave. You used to be a human doing. That's what defined you. But I came in, and I ransomed you, and I brought you out, and I'm making you new. You're not a human doing anymore. You're a human being. You're not just, your value is not just in your economic utility, just what you can produce. It's in the fact that I have pursued you and I have redeemed you, and I have made you new. You're getting a new identity. You're not a slave. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're a valued part of the family. That's what you are to remember on this day off. This is why I'm doing it. You are more than what your world has told you that you are, what you believe about yourself for the last generation upon generation. You're more than that. I want to give you rest. Amen? I mean, think about the God of the universe, his agenda, his goal, commandment number four. I want to give you rest. It's interesting that this is the longest verbiage around any commandment. You think of the whole Ten Commandments, do not kill, do not kill, do not kill, do not steal, right? Do not bear false witness, all of these things, right? This is what he takes the most time to explain. This is what he puts the most description on. This is what he kind of takes the most time to lean in on. It's the fourth one. It's the bridge between the three, God's in charge, he's number one, 
into I'm building a just society, I'm building a redeemed people, this commandment, take a day off, is the bridge. It was the day to be filled up so that you could go out and be a part of this new thing that God was doing. And it was learning how to rest that gave them the strength to be a part of the new community God was building. Think about that. Rest was foundational. It was important. And I want to ask you, are you rested? God wants to give you rest. Now, some of us are from backgrounds where we've heard this teaching before. And for us, either in our family or in our church or whatever, man, there was a whole lot of baggage loaded onto this. Don't play these games. Don't go with these friends. Don't go to the movies. Don't do this sport. You need to do. You just needed to feel bad about everything that you shouldn't do, and so you're just kind of standing around with nothing to do. If that was you, I feel you. I understand, right? You read through the Bible. They consistently struggle with this, but this is not what God has in mind for the day of rest, for the Sabbath. Read the words of Jesus in Mark chapter two. He says this: the Sabbath was made for man, meaning mankind. Not mankind made for the Sabbath. Meaning, God didn't create this idea of, hey, it'd be really cool to have this day called Sabbath and we we should make man in order to fulfill this kind of idea that I have. No. It was God looked at mankind and said, man, I love these people. I want to give them a day of rest. That's what it means. It's a gift. And in this gift, man, we receive from the heart of God. So what did the Sabbath in the Bible, what did it entail? What did it look like? What did they do on this time off? Number one, it was stop. Sabbath actually means stop. Stop what you're doing. So it was take a day off from work. Stop. You can turn your inbox. If they had one of those, you could turn it off. You can put your phone down. You can breathe. Stop. That was one thing. Number two, it involved rest. Sleep in. Take a nap. Take it easy. Rest. Number three, it involved delight. Oh, really? So this idea of God being God of celebration, this was a call, an invitation. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to enjoy the world I created. I want you to enjoy me. I want you to delight yourself. What, what, what brings you joy in the Father's house? That's what I want you to do. Number four, it was a day to contemplate. It was a day to think about What was Jesus doing in your life? What were the ways that God was at work? Theologian Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Think about, we can be so busy, one thing to the next, 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 to the next. It's like the CD gets stuck on go, 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 right? And this is stop. And I want you to think about what I'm doing. I want you to see the ways that I'm moving. I want you to see what I'm teaching you. I want you to see the ways that I'm working in your life. Contemplate. And lastly, it was about gratitude. Give thanks. Thank God for the blessings that he's given you. Thank God for giving of his son in the gospel and the grace that we receive. It's a day of gratitude. This is what the Sabbath was. This is what the Sabbath is, and it's a gift from God to his people to rest. Man, I I think we could all leave happy today. I think we could all leave like, that's a good, hey, I like that. Celebrate, 
Rest. Man, these, these, I'm, I'm a man, Zach. This is awesome. And we'd leave with that. We like that, but we wouldn't do anything about it. You know how I know? Because I've been trying for the last six months to practice this since we talked about it in January, and it's a lot harder than it looks. It's very challenging. There are probably some of us that, that, you know, we maybe get flipped around a little bit and we're like six days of rest and maybe one day of work. I realize that. So you kind of, that's a different sermon for a different day. Most of us, though, what I find is that we struggle with rest, right? And here's why. We may not have an external Pharaoh. Some of you do. I, uh, you've talked to me about your bosses. I realize you work for Pharaoh. But many of us, we don't have an external Pharaoh. But what we do have that keeps us from this is we have lots of internal Pharaohs that keep us from resting. At least that's been the case for me. I'm going to share with you some of the ones that I've really struggled with the last six months. The pastor's going to share how we struggle with Yes, I am. Because I bet you can relate. I bet there's at least one or two in here that you're like, yeah, that's actually what keeps me. Yeah, I could take a day off. It sounds good. I'll clap for that message, but I won't do it because, let me give you some of the reasons. Fear. The internal Pharaoh of fear. Will there be enough? If I stop, will all these plates that I'm spinning, keeping up in all these areas of life, will they come crashing down? If I really stop, will there be be enough. So we applaud the idea of a day of rest, but we don't practice it because we've got that inner Pharaoh saying, you got to keep going. Second one, pride. I don't need to. I don't need to rest. I'm kind of one of those men or one of those women. I'm, just, I'm a superhuman. I can just keep on going, right? We can be prideful. Anybody relate to fear? Anybody relate to pride? Oh, y'all then non-hand raise. I'll keep going. We're going to find one in here. Greed. If you didn't like pride or fear, here we go with greed. I want more. Uh, man, six days is just not enough. I need, there's more things that I want. There's more things that I want to do. I want to build a name for myself. I want to be significant. I want to do this. I want to do that. So we keep going and it's greed. And the inner Pharaoh of greed keeps us from stopping to rest. Insecurity. If I really take a day off, what am I going to miss out on? FOMO, I'm afraid of missing out. What am I going to miss out on if I stop? If I rest, what might happen over here, over there, that I would just, man, I got to be there. And we get dominated. At least I get dominated by, by these things. But number one on my list, number one that I found in six months of trying to live this out is selfishness. I want to be in control, God. I want to do it my way on my time. I'll take a break when I want to. Now, I, let me just say, my wife and I, um, she is back there, a little wave. We have uh, three kids, one on the way. Our life is busy. I've found that the most significant challenge for us in trying to do this is not the demands of raising kids, although that's very active. It's these inner pharaohs that are going on on the inside. Fear, anxiety, greed, insecurity, pride, selfishness. What about you? I want you to think for a minute. I want you to be self-reflective. Which of those inner pharaohs can you relate to? Which of those are like, when I really think about it, that's what keeps me from stopping. 
The good news for us is that we're not alone in this. You're not going to be left to yourself to now go figure out how to do it. Because God, in his mercy, didn't just lay out a vision for his people of the right way to live and then leave us on our own to figure out how to do it. He sent his son Jesus, the grace of God, the breath of God. God was skin on into our world, up close and personal for you and for me. And I want you to read these words of Jesus, and I want you to think about them in relation to our inner Pharaohs. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Realize the context is people that made Sabbath way too complicated. Is anybody in here tired? Is anybody in here burnt out? Is anybody in here, man, what does he say? Get your act together. Make a plan. Nope. He says, come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. So here comes Jesus saying, I'm going to help you to do this. I see that you're tired. I'm not just going to give you a vision for it. I'm going to give you the power to live this out. I'm going to take on your inner Pharaohs. Verse 12, the next slide. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Does Jesus call us to hard things? Yes. Does Jesus call us to obey him even when it's costly? Yes. Were many of the hearers of this going to give their very lives for the gospel to go forward? Yes. So this is not, oh, everything in my life is just supposed to be easy if I'm following Jesus. No, life is hard. If no one's told you yet, life is hard. Following Jesus is going to be challenging. And yet in the midst of those challenges, in the midst of life, Jesus wants to teach us how to rest. He takes on the inner Pharaoh of our pride, and he melts it. With his greatness and our pride just crumbles when we see his humility and his graciousness. He satiates our longing for more that gets manifested in greed with the abundance of who he is. He quells our anxious fears of missing out when we meet his love. When we see his goodness, we say, hey, I don't actually want to be in control. I give you my selfishness. I want to go your way. He begins to dismantle the inner pharaohs of our heart when we come to him, when we look at him, when we watch him, when we walk with him, when we work with him, when we watch how he does it. And we learn the unforced rhythms of grace. We get a real rest. Our goal for the summer is to rest well. I want you to come out of this summer, and when someone says, hey, how you doing? I want you to say, I'm well rested. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go. I want, you to, I want you to do that. So here's, I'm going to give you a couple questions. When you go to lunch today, you can ask these questions. If you are a single male and you're sitting next to a single female, great. Hey, would you like to go to lunch and discuss this with you? You have my permission. I'm setting you up. You can pay me later on that. I'm setting you up. Listen, here's what, I want, here's what I want to ask you. What would it look like for you to receive this gift of rest from God? It might start for some of you. It's like a whole day, Zach. I, I, whew, maybe it'll start with just a little morning slot. That's okay. 
What would it look like for you to receive this gift of rest? Number two, what's the Pharaoh that would keep you from resting? It may be external. Maybe like, man, my boss just good night. I don't even know that I get away from that situation. Maybe that's where you are, and we want to be supportive of you. That's where you are. I know people in our church, but that's where they are. For many of us, it's going to be an inner Pharaoh. Which one of those you're like that? That one or two or five? Maybe you're. Maybe you're. Uh, I take them all. Right. That's the challenge. And so, how is Jesus going to meet with you this summer to help you learn to rest? Can we have a shared goal of being a community that really receives this gift of rest? Be a well-rested people. I think that's what God wants to give us. I think it's part of a fruitful summer. You take those questions, chew on them. Let's grow in this together. Let's learn from one another. Let's learn from Jesus. I want to invite you to stand as we close. I'm going to give you this quote on worship as we close with a song of worship. This is from Pastor Tim Keller talking about the subject of rest. And he says, only through worship are we restored to the vigor that we need from the exhaustion and the burnout of seeking our own glory. So we spend life just, I got to make a name for myself. I got to be significant. I got to do this. I got to do that. And we get burnout seeking our own glory. We take time to look up and look at Jesus. And it's like, wow, you're awesome. And we're refreshed. So that's why we're closing with worship. Jesus, thank you that you're awesome. Thank you that you, God, desire to give to us literal, physical rest. Help us, Lord. We are a confused, mixed up, struggling people on this issue. Thank you. Those are the kind of people that you put a bullseye on to come and help, Lord. We recognize our need, and we need you, Jesus.